Hi, everyone. Today, Hellevorn is going to be talking about one of the stories that she finished for Tales from the North a couple of months ago, The Linden Trees. It's one of the first stories in this collection of stories about an Anglo-Saxon character rather than a Norse character. So to begin, what is the story about and what themes does it illustrate? The setting is 10th century Normandy, and it is a story about a relationship, not as much an ongoing relationship, but rather a past relationship or one that might have been. Uh, Lord Edgar, the son of the alderman of Northumbria, is visiting Normandy on some business with a certain Lord Rodulf, and uh, Rodulf's wife, Agnes, used to be a very close friend of Edgar. They were childhood friends back in England, but Agnes had to move to Normandy in order to get married to a Norman lord. So uh, Agnes and Edgar have not seen each other in about 13 years alone. They have been meeting on and off for weddings and baptisms and other important events, but they were always formal meetings. So this is the first time when they are alone like they used to be before they were separated. So uh, it is a story about love, about friendship, marriage, but also duty and time. Mm -hmm. So we get to see these two characters reconnect and we see what has changed and what hasn't and how they both cope with these changes. Mm -hmm. Beautifully put. So what is the protagonist Edgar like? Edgar is a very uh, serious and uh, uh, strict and pious person. Um, he is the son of the Elderman of Northumbria, so the Elderman is a, uh, a very powerful man in England. He is second only to the king of England, we can say. So uh, he's a nobleman. And uh, Edgar's mother drew, uh, died when Edgar was about 10, and his father remarried a much younger woman who is four years Edgar Sr. So uh, from uh, his mother, Edgar learned to be uh, pious, to be loyal and dutiful, and to be ambitious. And from his father, he learned uh, um, the, the virtues of heroism, so to speak, and also to be against hypocrisy. And I think that this one he learned uh, from the negative example of his father, because Edgar thinks that his father is a bit of a hypocrite. Uh, but at the same time, Edgar is so dutiful and so loyal to his family that he's able to overlook certain flaws. So even though he's a very strict and judgmental person in other respects, and he would really make a frightful judge. Um, when it comes to his family, he sort of lets all these things pass, you know. So this points to his, uh, to his loyalty mm -hmm. to family. And so this can be both a quality and a flaw, we can say. Mm -hmm. And how does he view his half-sibling, Aiden, and his new stepmother? Does he feel loyal to them as well? Or does he feel not as loyal because he didn't really have a choice in the fact that his father remarried? 
Well, he feels loyal to them because he knows that kin is very important. So he knows that he has to be loyal to them. But I think that he, in a way, he likes them, even though he finds them quite eccentric, I think. Well, Edgar is a very proper person who always does everything that he is supposed to do. Uh, they're really not these type of people. And uh, they are generally seen as more eccentric by everyone else. And Edgar, in a way, he appreciates them, but I don't think he, uh, he lets his emotions show. Uh, because uh, he also sees them as pretty flawed and he doesn't understand them very well. That makes sense. And this also kind of foreshadows his later relationship with Aiden in The Sons of Disobedience. Exactly, yes. Yes, because Edgar will be one of the characters in Sons of Disobedience and an important one in the influence that he had on the protagonist. Aiden. Mm-hmm. Being uh, Aiden's older brother, he influenced him in a lot of ways because Aiden really looked up to him and tried a lot to be like him, even though they are very, very different. So they were brought up with the same values, but these were imprinted upon the two brothers in very different ways. Mm-hmm. They definitely were. I think it has to do with Merwin's influence as well. Yes, definitely, because yes, they had the same father, but then Merwin was uh, a woman who spent a lot of time with her son, even, you know, more than was generally acceptable because a, a boy was supposed to be brought up by male members of his family and be taught, uh, you know, male things, male preoccupations and values and yet he spends a lot of time with Merwin and uh, I guess uh, the elderman sort of lets her do her thing because otherwise they would have a lot of arguments and they are mm-hmm. both really sick and tired of the arguments. <laughs> right. Mm-hmm. How does the story differ from the other stories in the series besides the setting? Well, first of all, it is set in Normandy, which is quite an extraordinary setting for myself because I generally place all of my stories in medieval Scandinavia and sometimes in medieval England. Then Normandy is quite out of the ordinary um, and uh, nearly out of my comfort zone, but I'm not writing about normal characters, but about uh, Anglo-Saxons. Of course, we will have a Norman character, that Lord Rodulf, but mm-hmm. uh, he's not the, the main character in this one. So other than that, um, well, one of the things that I really like illustrating in my short stories or in, in my stories in general is restraint because uh, we don't see a lot of that in fiction. And I think it's a very interesting and and subtle thing to show. We see it, for example, in Lucky Wolf with Ingvar and uh, who is really a master of restraint, albeit for different reasons, right? Because he suppresses his feelings and his desires. Mm -hmm. So both Ingvar and Edgar have this thing in common. And I think that this story is about this. And like I said, it is about a relationship that might have been. Mm-hmm. So we'll see a lot of nostalgia. And I think this is what uh, brings this story out. 
Mm-hmm, that's true. I think the stories that we've seen so far haven't really touched upon the theme of nostalgia that much, right? Yes, indeed. And I think that well, most of my other short stories from the Tales from the North series are more uh, more dynamic in a way. I think this one is one of the more static, but also one of the most mature things that I have written in, in the subject matter. That's true, because it's more contemplative, right? There's not really much happening except for them thinking and talking to each other. Exactly. It is basically a dialogue between two mature people looking back on their lives. Maybe they are not very mature for uh, the modern perceptions because they are something like 26, 28. But for that time, they are quite mature. <laughs> That's true. They have several children and they have been married for several years. Right. I think the equivalent of the, the modern version of them would be like 38. yes indeed yeah exactly and I guess Edgar um will we see more of him in uh the tales from the north I remember in DeviantArt you had a few stories about him especially that illustration you did of his mask the armor I think the one that he was putting on when he was going to battle Oh, yeah, that's true. We're going to see the armor in Sons of Disobedience, but I'm not sure I'm going to have another short story with him. You know, I had one uh, which was a poem, uh, a narrative poem about him as a um, judge or as a law enforcer, rather. So... I'm going to see if, 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 if I'm going to add one to the series or not. Right, exactly. And for Aiden, how many will there be, do you think? At least three. Oh, I see. And does um, the next story that we'll talk about in the podcast series, um, The Enchanted Isles, does that count as one of the Aiden ones or not really? Yeah. Yeah, yes. So there will be uh, that one where he is a kid and then we're going to have at least two more when he is uh, a teenager. He is 18. Right. And those are taking place in Scandinavia, right? Not about him when he was a monk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it's in Scandinavia. Yeah. But who knows? Maybe I'm going to add more short stories because, uh, I mean, not only editing the ones that I wrote many years ago, maybe I'll, I'll write new ones and, hey, mm-hmm. why not one with him as a monk? <laughs> yeah, because we haven't really seen much of him as a monk. That's very true. Yeah. Yeah, I'll, I'll think about it. We'll see. Mm-hmm. And what are the major changes that you've made since revisiting this story? Because you did write the original draft five years ago. Yeah, indeed. So first of all, it was Rodolf's name because uh, he was called Lothair, which is really an out of the ordinary name, given that the Normans were basically Norse at the time. So there was... Well, the, that that name would not have been something that that we can meet in that place in that time. So I changed it to a more Norse-sounding name. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, this is one of the things. And then I added more sensory descriptions because I felt that they were lacking. So mm-hmm. uh, we're in this beautiful and lush 
French, well, Norman Garden, and uh, Edgar is in this moment where he is much more emotional than he usually is because he's generally very, um, yeah, very reluctant to show emotion. He is this very proper Englishman who is now overwhelmed with nostalgia. So I had to show that the original story did not really give a sense of all of these things. So this mm -hmm. is why I've changed. And uh, I'm going to show you soon a, uh, a, a fragment of the story as it was written originally, and then uh, a fragment of uh, uh, how I changed it right now. Mm -hmm. uh, and then the third thing that I changed is that I gave more insight into the relationship between Agnes and her husband, which I hadn't done back then. And in this, I feel that I created a sort of a twist because we don't know her husband until very late in the story. And we understand their relationship mostly through Edgar's imagination. And he imagines certain things. And the more we learn about it uh, and the more Edgar learns about it, the more his expectations are overturned. So why? Adding more insight into their relationship, I also uh, enhanced this this feeling. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. So I'm going to share my screen right now, and um, I'm going to show you. Yes, this is the beginning of the story because I don't want to spoil much. But fortunately, uh, really, the, the first paragraph will give a lot of insight into what I wanted to say. I'm going to read it out loud, the old version. Lord Edgar was walking on the path, his hazel eyes circling the garden in admiration, careful not to crush under his gate the delicate white and rich purple lilies, not, nor bend under his long tunic the clusters of yellow tansies and spider petal pennyroyals among which he trod. The wind was blowing slightly, bearing scents blend together in an overwhelming sweetness. So I basically described the garden, but there is very little insight into what he was thinking mm -hmm. and feeling. And that's not really a mistake, but then we only have this short story uh, to introduce the character of Edgar. And even though this, um, uh, this kind of writing, which doesn't describe inner processes is okay, it, depending on what you want to say, I felt that it wasn't really showing Edgar to the, to the reader. So this is how I changed it. Sorry. Yes, this is how I changed it. Lord Edgar stepped through the grass with a sudden caution, not quite characteristic, careful not to crush under his gait the delicate white and purple lilies, catch his cloak in the branches of hawthorns richly adorned with light rose flowers, nor bend under his long tunic the clusters of yellow tansies and spider petal pennyrolls among which he trod. His gaze circled the garden, remarking the variety of specimens grown there. He had never given much thought to plants, not beyond their function to feed and heal and to provide shade from glaring heat. Too common, too trivial, always there and ready to be taken for granted. 
Animals were meant to be eaten or employed in chores, rivers to carry ships and lakes to be fished, mountains to be crossed, for God had given man power to use nature. But this time, the gentle breeze was bearing scents of late spring that reminded him of something long past, something undefined. Something about this particular garden was giving him a sense of mystery, an unfamiliar tremor of anticipation. So in this, I added something about the type of person that Edgar is so as to, uh, to make him more complex than the actual um, situation I put him in could show, right? By, by showing what a pragmatic man he is and in showing how he views plans, there will also be a contrast between him and Agnes because she views plans in a very different way since this is her garden that we are seeing right now. Mm -hmm. And I've also introduced here his our relationship to divinity, right? How he views God also in this sort of uh, pragmatic utilitarian function, right? So you give praise to God because he gave you things in return, the, the power to master the earth, right? So this is right. basically how he views it. And I also show that it is an, an important uh, moment for him. So in, in the last paragraph, I gave some insight into how he feels about, about the meeting with Agnes. Right. Yes. It's definitely a lot more interior. And I really like how you fused in not only his feelings about Agnes and you know the uncertainty he feels, which points us in this points to the nostalgia he'll later feel in the series, but also what you talked about, you know, his feelings about God, which I thought were a really good fit because, you know, you know, the Garden of Eden, first of all, and also, you know, this feeling of pragmatism as well as, you know, very legalistic approach to religion, because he's always thinking about how God gave man the ability to rule over nature, right? So I think that also points to how he is authoritarian, essentially. Yes, exactly. That, that's excellently pointed out. Indeed, yes, this is what I wanted to show. Because his, his relationship to divinity is different from, you know, the one of Merwin, for example, of Iden. So it, it's really uh, pointing to the kind of man that Hedgar is. Mm -hmm. Because he does make a lot of decisions for people. And this is how he sees God, you know, kind of making decisions for mankind, like how he makes decisions later for Iden as well. Yeah, this is wonderfully put exactly as yes. this is what I had in mind. While Merwin, as we see, we will see in the Enchanted Isles, she has a very um, magical, mystical, and emotional connection to God. Exactly. Very different, quite opposite, we can say, from how Edgar feels, even though they both would describe themselves as pious people and really devout Christians, more so than uh, any other character of mine. Mm -hmm, that's true. So interestingly enough, I think that Edgar is kind of like a fusion between uh, the, no, actually the Dean is a fusion between Merwin and um, Edgar in a way, because on the surface he appears very legalistic, but he's also very emotional. Yeah, that's really true. Yes, indeed. So he seems a lot like Edgar, but then he has a, a much more personal and intimate connection with God in, in the way that Merwin does. Exactly. So I just thought that was an interesting combination. Yeah, that's true. 
That's true. So I, I'm going to stop sharing right now because I've I've shown you the quote. And uh, you can read this story on tapas.io. It is a part of my uh, illustrated series, Tales from the North. Right, exactly. And it's links are in the description. Right. Thank you so much for inviting me. Thank you. Bye. Bye.